Welcome to the Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast, a podcast created to inform patients, families, and caregivers about important health transformation topics. Since the 2001 Crossing the Quality Chasm Report by the Institute of Medicine, our nation's healthcare system has recognized its need to improve quality of care by way of six important aims that make healthcare safe, efficient, effective, patient-centered, timely, and equitable. But we cannot hope to cross this chasm and achieve these aims until we make fundamental changes to the whole healthcare system. All levels of this work require dramatic improvements from the patient's experience. So this podcast is dedicated to you, the voices most underutilized resource in healthcare, our patients' voices. Welcome, and we hope you enjoy the Patient Partner Innovation Community Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Natasha Washington, president and founder of ATW Health Solutions and sponsor for the Patient Partner Innovation Community. Follow the PPIC community online at atwhealth.com. We are so happy that you're joining our podcast today. I am Desiree Collins-Bradley here at Patient Partner Innovation Community, and we are really, really excited to have an extra special guest with us, Nanye Aganya. Welcome. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much, Desiree. Thank you for the invitation. Yes, I'm finally, you know, happy that you're joining us because you are going to touch on a very important, important topic that is often not quite talked about. So what you guys that are listening, what we're going to talk about today is simple communication strategies between providers and patients. So Nani, I know that you, because I've read all about you on LinkedIn and I've seen you on social media, but our listeners don't know. So why don't you just give us a brief little introduction of who you are and what is simple communication strategies? Absolutely. Um, well, thank you again, Desiree. I'm excited to share my experience, you know, with you and your audience. Um, my name is Nonia Ganya, like you said. I'm a family nurse practitioner. I've practiced now in the retail clinic setting for almost 12 years. Uh, prior to that, I practiced in uh, the states of New Jersey and New York. Um, I owned a practice at some point. I worked also as a registered nurse uh, for about 10 years. And um, it's fair to say for close to 30 years now, I've maintained contact with patients in all different settings uh, of the healthcare. And um, communication, it really is not a very easy thing to accomplish. I always say this. It's something that uh, we have to delve into strategically because of the diversity that really exists out there. And based on um, these diversities, it's almost a conscious act uh, Mm -hmm. communication has become so that everyone can get the best uh, when it comes to interaction from any type of consultation that takes place in the healthcare setting. So that's why I focus a lot on communication. Oh, wow. That is, you know, really, really important. And it's refreshing to hear it coming from a provider. You know, I know as a patient and I'm I'm a pretty seasoned patient advocate, but I'm also a patient myself. 
And even though I'm seasoned and pretty savvy, I can be put in some situations that I feel intimidated and a little uncomfortable. So I really appreciate you um, developing these strategies. So what was the inspiration behind was there something that happened or is it is was there some type of inspiration that said, hey, this is something that I need to do today? Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, it's really a couple of things because we know in life, there just always isn't just that one thing that triggers you to take action. It's always a series of events till you probably get to a point and said, I got to do something about this, you know? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> Because, you know, as we know, and as I touched on before, um, we all know that communication is important. But it's one thing to have an idea. And it's another thing to present that idea in a way that it's becoming um, something that is well-received and also starts to become something that makes an impact, especially especially a general impact uh, for a larger community. And even though I focus a lot of my work on developing these effective, you know, strategies, I'm also a firm believer that effective communication, you know, it's the backbone of uh, productivity in so many other settings, not only the healthcare setting. You know, we, we think of corporates, we think of educational, uh, we think of uh, law enforcement. That's another big setting. So yeah, the idea absolutely. Is- yeah, becomes, you know, when we're able to interact effectively with others, uh, it's almost like we subconsciously create a uh, kind of a tranquil or less stressful environment where there's a better chance, uh, you know, of making more genuine connections. Uh, and yes. it's only when those genuine connections are made that heart-to-heart conversations take place. And in the healthcare setting, more than any other setting, it's needed because lives truly depend on these conversations, you know? Yes, absolutely. You know, I can't say it enough. I know there's been times when I've walked, I've gone to an appointment and maybe it's a new provider and they don't know me. And I walk away from the appointment and I'm like, oh, I, I thought about these things, afterthoughts. Oh, I should have said this or ask these questions. So when you have that welcoming environment and open, having that trusting dialogue, I think it's just positive patient outcomes for both both parties, not just the patients, but the providers as well. Because you build in that trust as you move along, as we tackle whatever health process that we're doing, it's building that trust. So I really, really love that point. Absolutely. I saw something also I read because, you know, I've been I've been reading up about you that you had an experience where you kind of switched, where you became the patient. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, uh, it was an unfortunate event, but um, I always say as much as we all um, are humans at some point, we all are going to become patients. And uh, my uh, experience as a patient, uh, unfortunately, took place uh, in 2013, and I still remain a patient. That's the point I always try to emphasize, because as long as we're breathing, there is still always something that can go wrong. And we, even if nothing is going wrong, we still have to maintain those mm-hmm. regular checkups at the doctor's offices. And those can be nerve-wracking, just uh, going alone and the feeling of unknown is nerve-wracking. Uh, but, you know, back to your question, of course, in um, 2013, I had a fibroid tumor 
that actually um, grew to such a very large size that it debilitated me and made my right leg to become numb. I uh, experienced a lot of issues, you know, with this growth. And uh, I had to undergo, undergo a surgical procedure. And um, it, it was really uh, nerve-wracking because it was a five-month recovery uh, experience uh, that I had. Lots of wow. Yeah, I had a lot of transfusions and, you know, had to see so many schools of specialists from the GYN to surgery to urologists to cardiologists, mm -hmm. you name it. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, so that experience really uh, made me feel very vulnerable and not being in control. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we know that fear of unknown uh, being so overwhelming can create so many emotions. Some days I was very sad. Some days I was mad. Some days I felt hopeful, you know, when I got a yeah. positive result. And some days I was just very overwhelmed. And that was when it just made sense to me that patients mm -hmm. experience all these similar anxieties. And these anxieties can begin to manifest as various attitudes and reservations in the healthcare setting. Sometimes, you know, patients become angry, they're defiant. Some patients mm -hmm. are impatient. Some patients are opinionated. Some mm -hmm. become skeptical, dependent, or sometimes even suspicious of the healthcare provider. So when I realized this, I knew it was important for me to step back and just engage strategically with my patients in a very compassionate way while taking time to identify those different factors that actually contribute to the attitudes that I am seeing in the healthcare setting. Um, wow. that was, yeah, that was how what got me really started on this journey of uh, of discovery of, of a lot of these different factors, and of yeah. course writing it down. Yeah, uh, yes, it, you know it, it's you touched on quite a few things, but I just want to kind of double back. You know, oftentimes we hear all the time difficult patients. Like you'll hear it, I hear it in my advocacy work. The difficult patients and oftentimes I'll tell people you know these difficult patients and I put that in quotations in the air there's mm -hmm. something behind that and so you touched on the different anxieties the stress the social factors all of these things that patients are dealing with in their personal lives sometimes unfortunately we bring that into that provider space and so yeah. making sure that your providers are aware that hey Maybe this patient just had a really bad day. And how can we have effective communication strategies? I think that was really, really, really key. So, how, um, Nanyi, can you share with us some simple communication strategies that you've come up with for patients and providers? Absolutely. Um, I always say that I will start this off by addressing providers. Because okay. I really always believe that, you know, as providers, the ball is really in our court to make mm -hmm. the patient feel comfortable in our presence. Because one person, you know, is in the uh, position of, A, I'm here to help. I'm here to, to help you out. And the other person is in the position of, help me, please. So you will find that there's already this 
kind of um, a situation where the person that is the helper kind of has the upper hand. So because you have the upper hand, you have the tools that you, you need to implement to make the person that you're helping feel comfortable. Because mm-hmm. many times patients are looking to us to make them feel comfortable in their presence. So I always tell providers, first start by examining your own values and your beliefs. And know that there are so many diverse attitudes and opinions and in this high stress you know, setting of um, in a clinical setting, it's really riddled with a lot of anxieties. And like you said, which are underlying anxieties due to so many other factors. And not everyone will receive the same information the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, as humans, we have different backgrounds. We have different experiences and so many different upbringings. And because of that, we perceive things differently. So I've always looked at it this way. If you take a poll of 100 people and you show them the same image, there will be different inter- interpretations of that image because of the different experiences we all have. So mm-hmm. when providers approach healthcare communication in that way, and know for trust to really be developed, you have to strategically talk to an individual based on what is being presented to you. So that person can feel comfortable. And in the book that I wrote, The Simple Tips to Developing a Productive Clinician-Patient Relationship and the online courses that I've now developed in Communication Academy, I talked about various communication styles of uh, knowing when to nod in affirmation when someone is speaking so that you can give the person a form of validation. So that person will know that oh, there is trust being developed here. There is a connection being made. Knowing when to maintain or temporarily avoid eye contact to give someone a chance to develop their train of thought. Because I know as important as eye contact may be, there are really those times, especially during the initial stages of consultation, where eye contact is not even necessary. What you need to maintain there as a provider is a listening skill. Just listen, you could write down, you could pull your head down and be writing something, but let the patient be, be talking at that point so that the, the train of thought is maintained and someone can verbalize all they have to verbalize. And knowing how, when to speak very softly, you know, without sounding so authoritatively so that patients don't feel intimidated. Knowing when to use humor, there are times you have to just use humor to soften the environment. When to engage patients in either closed-ended or open-ended questions so that you can help get patients' interest and engagement and keep it for long periods of time. Positioning, knowing when to sit versus when to stand. So all these are strategically implemented based on patient characteristics as either when a patient is dependent. You know something? Someone asked me, what kind of patient was I when I was a patient? And I had to think about that for a moment. I said, you know what? I literally became the dependent patient, believe it or not. In as much as I have all these experiences, you know, thank God for that, um, mm-hmm. in healthcare, as a patient, I literally couldn't advocate for myself. I, I couldn't speak up. 
I felt that fear of authority, like I couldn't ask questions. I felt I was going to be, my doctors will find it annoying if I ask so many questions. And that was when it really clicked for me that dependent patients, there are strategic ways of communicating also with dependent patients. When patients are opinionated, there are strategic ways of communicating. When patients are defiant, there are strategic ways of communicating. So all these I detailed out in the book and also in oh. my course. So how can that, because, you know, this is extremely intriguing to me. If So if we wanted to buy the book and we wanted to take your classes, tell our listeners where could they find your book and your classes? Absolutely. Uh, my website is uh, www.ptdr. And I'll just put as PT, you know, acronym for patient and DR, acronym for doctor, simpletips.com. That's PTDR, simpletips.com. And on that website is a link that takes, uh, you know, visitors to the Communication Academy online course. That's another website where at this point, I'm actually, uh, thank God for that, working with an accreditation company to get some of these courses accredited so that providers can get uh, continuing medical education because um, this is really a problem in healthcare. And Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the researches that I've done and statistics that are out there is showing that as the years go on with technological advancement, it's becoming more and more of a problem of making genuine connections and compassionate care, uh, you know, between healthcare providers and patients. And the book is also available on Amazon. Um, Okay. We can find it on Amazon. That that point that you brought up about technology, you know, we love technology, right? We're in this technological age, but it's made us impersonal. You know, we text. We don't call each other anymore. <laughs> we don't mail letters. <laughs> you know, we, we we rely on so much of technology. So I think it goes both ways, not just for the providers, but for the patients, too. We get so used to those non-personal touches so that when we're in that office with our providers, this is a new space. Like, oh, my goodness, we actually have to look at each other and talk and not text. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, our our listeners, you know, I think they would really benefit, you know, go to Amazon and find the book and go to Nanya's website and and check out the online courses. So I have one last question for you before I let you go. And this is going to be for patients. And so you talked about intimidation. You talked about um, patients being agitated and anxiety and all the social factors that go into, you know, what what happens with us when we enter the office doors, right? So if you had one stitch of advice for those, just the patient that is intimidated or doesn't feel very comfortable communicating with their providers, what would be that one stitch of information, um, advice that you would give them so that they could become more engaged with their providers? Well, um, I would say um, the best advice is to have patients empower themselves also. And there are other ways of doing it. The first simple uh, way of doing this is writing down questions before a clinical consultation. 
because it really helps uh, patients. Because I, I know I do that after my surgery. I had to start doing that, <laughs> you yeah. know, to become uh, more focused during a consultation process and to become less uh, flustered. So this way you just have a checkpoint and you ask him this uh, question and approach each clinical experience with an open mind, you know, mm -hmm. and um, know that healthcare providers are humans too. We get overwhelmed, we have emotions, and um, it's really a two-way street for effective interaction to become quite productive. It's a two-way street. So everyone should at least be mindful of all those emotions and uh, approach uh, all clinical experiences, you know, with an open mind. Smile, you know, a simple smile is uh, is a thousand happy words, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's that gold, the simple golden rule. Golden rule: you treat others the way you want to be treated. And I know I remember, you know, for years I would think of physicians as like the higher authority, and it was. In, in all transparency, like the gods, right? And so it yeah. wasn't until I got engaged in like advocacy work and really getting my feet into healthcare quality improvement that I realized that providers have the same social struggles that I have. And it was, I was at a conference and I was given a presentation with a physician and we were talking about the opioid epidemic. And we went to we went to lunch before, right? We just said, oh, we have a few hours. Let's go sit down and have lunch together. And we're just sitting there and talking before our presentation. And she started sharing with me just different things. You know, she's got two kids and, you know, trying to juggle daycare and just all the things that I, you know, juggle and my peers juggle. And I looked at her and I told her and I was like, wow, you're a real person. And she just laughed <laughs> and she was, <laughs> and she said, Desiree, I am, <laughs> you know, but it was like the light bulb kind of yeah. clicked to say, you know, I, and I just think, you know, what you're doing is really, really awesome. And we need more providers to kind of jump on board and take your courses and buy your book and, and spread what you're doing because it's true. And there's really, you know, there's a huge gap there when we, you know, we hear about best practices in, um, you know, admissions and reducing um, length of stays and medication adherence, but you really don't hear a lot around of communication. That is a gap that um, we're hoping to fill. So, mm. I, you know, with our listeners listening to our podcast today, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Nanya, do you have any last words for us before we let you go? Um, I guess my last words will be to say thank you so much for this opportunity. I thank God for the opportunity. And I'm looking forward to... Um, you know, making an impact. I'm very excited about the continuing medical education sector. It's still very early stages, but it's something that I'm praying will help make uh, a more positive impact nationwide uh, between healthcare providers and patients, uh, trust development. Thank you so much, Desiree. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Well, I'll tell you this. At Patient Partner Innovation Community, we have a large network. We have an active Facebook group. We're definitely going to spread this, your book and your courses, so that they can share with their other patient networks. You know, sharing is caring, I always say. Okay. So with that, 
you thank you Nanyu, for joining us today and thank you listeners for tuning in and as always be engaged follow the peep community online at atwhealth.com